Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Praise God. Back to where we've been, 1 Peter this morning, chapter 1. Just to bring you up to speed on what we're doing. You know, the, it's not often, but every once in a while, God will do something in me as a teacher. How many remember about two, three years ago, we did a lot of teaching on the heart? Yeah. Do y'all remember that? Yeah. We ought to go back and look at some of that. That's some really good stuff. I mean, that's, that's powerful. Lines up right with the Word of God. But the, the, here recently, you know, well, one of, the, one of the ways I've been praying is, you know, Lord, where are we at? Show us exactly in the Word what we need to do. If this is the perilous times that, that Paul saw in his spirit and wrote Timothy about, and we could go through, a, a, you know, an expanded definition of what that means, but my God, we're seeing it played out in front of us right now. I mean, literally, the pages of the Bible are alive with fulfilled prophecy that's going on all over the world, from the pandemics to the epidemics to the darkness that's upon the earth to the, to the moral decay. Everything that's going on, God showed us in the Word. This is what's going to be happening when time gets wrapped up, and here we are. So what do we do? Well, we've learned from the Word of God that we're going we're gonna to we're gonna have to learn to watch and pray. We're going to have to be sober, and we're going to have to cover each other with the love of God in order to make it through these days. That's the assignment for the church in the house. Out of the house, it's still the same assignment as it's always been. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what God's called and commissioned us to do. But I'm going to stay with this, and every time I, every time I think I've, I've got to the end of it, the Lord gives me something else, because what we're looking for or what brings us this grace that we need for the last days is an expanded revelation of Jesus. Now, isn't that simple? Yeah. Uh, let's just put it like this. Jesus needs to get bigger on the inside of you. Yeah. Jesus needs... Now, people say, well, what about God? See, people are always talking like that. Well, here's the thing. You can use the name God. And I, most people in the world, they'll, they'll engage you in conversation. We talk about God this and God that. But now when you use the name of Jesus, it's amazing how that changes the conversation. Because God is universal, and Jesus is personal, and Jesus has come to make God personal so He becomes your heavenly Father. Aren't you glad He did? Or otherwise, or otherwise He'd be something afar off that you can't touch, hear, see, or anything like that because you're not, quote, qualified. But I'm going to tell you, the only thing that qualifies you for, for, for fellowship with God is being saved, getting born again. So we see that this sobriety that we enter into in the last days is literally, you know, well, we don't do drugs or we don't drink or nothing. No, no. It's talking about not coming under the influence of what's going on in the world. There are so many narratives out there. Now, let me just say this. The narratives of the world system are victim run. That means they got to have victims to adhere to it in order for it to have power. So for every problem of your life, you can probably find a narrative that will fit with that that will bring you into a victim mentality where you think of somebody who has been wronged, been violated, and as long as you think like that, that's how you're going to live. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now listen, God wants you free from every string of your past. Any cord that would hold you to your past, he wants you free from that. 
Amen? And he wants you walking in sobriety in these last days so you don't come under the influence. Because I'm going to tell you, church, and I've been telling you this, a lot of what's going to be happening in the days ahead is going to be spiritual influence trying to fool you. Because God said of these days that they would be shortened so we, the elect, would not be deceived. There is a spirit of deception upon the earth right now. And I guarantee you, it's ingrained itself in religion. It is a deception. But the good news is, we got the truth of the Word of God, and we got the best teacher in the universe. You say, who is that? The Holy Ghost. He is your teacher. Amen? First Peter, now look, here's where we are in verse... Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Now you'll be familiar because we've been reading these. This is the fourth week, we, week we've read these scriptures. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Everybody say your mind. And be sober. And hope to the end. Now notice this. For the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a simple scripture? Now here's... Now, now, religion always looks at things funny. Look, for 40 years in ministry, I've been fighting religion, and they hadn't won one yet. Because I always go back to the Word of God. Amen. Always go back to the Word of God. Amen. But now notice here, it talks about the grace that is to be brought unto you. Isn't it amazing how Christianity, the, the religion of Christianity, always puts everything God is going to do for you off until after you die. Well, when you get to heaven, you'll be healed. When you get to heaven, you'll be prosperous. Well, when you get to heaven, there won't be any more funerals. When you get to heaven, get to heaven, get to heaven, get to heaven. Well, what good does that do down for us down here on the nasty now and now? I wrote this in my notes. It's in my notes in my office. I wrote this in my notes. I, I, I said, you know, death is the best excuse for people not to enter into the blessings of God. Well, I'll get it when I die. Well, what good is it going to do when you die? Yeah, when you get to heaven, there's no death in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no prejudice in heaven. There's nothing in heaven that is, that, that is negative. It's all blessing. Amen. So what good is it going to do in heaven? Yeah. It's going to do some good down here on the earth where it's needed. Yeah. Healing is needed down here. Salvation is needed down here. Prosperity is needed down here. Joy is needed down here. Righteousness is needed down here. When we all get to heaven, none of that's relevant because the opposition to that is gone. So we need it now. So to be brought to us, you say, what do you mean by that? That means as we seek, as we're sober, as we watch and pray, we're vigilant in the things of God. God is saying, I'm going to bring to you an expanded, what? Revelation. Now remember that word. Remember that word. Because see, people, they take revelation for granted. They do not value it because religion presents us such a picture designed to impress well, we know something. Sure, look at how many churches we got. Look at how many buildings, how high our steeple is. Look how tall our hut is. You say, you're making fun? Well, why not? They'll send you to hell. Jesus said you must be born again. Doesn't matter how big your church is, how high your steeple is, how big your hat is, or how many people follow you around. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what God says. Jesus said you have to be born again or you're not even going to understand the things of the kingdom of God. Amen? So here, what it's showing us, listen, there is a hope 
brought to us what? Hope to the end for the grace. Woo, glory to God. Without the grace of God, you'd be dead. The devil would have found a way to kill you by now. How many remember when he was looking for the ways and you was helping him? I mean, you know, he was looking, you were right alongside him. Yeah, we'll try this and we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do this. Amen. Well, most of you didn't, you know, you didn't realize it was the devil, but it was. But God knows. Listen, God knows. I found this interesting because many of the scriptures that I was looking at, you know where it says not to forsake the assembling of yourself, Hebrews chapter 10, not to forsake the assembling of yourself together, even more so as you see the day approaching. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. There's scriptures all throughout the New Testament that reference the end of time, the end of age, and that God would release a grace unto us as we sought him and as we seek a greater revelation of Jesus, he imparts unto us a grace to live in these last days. I mean, they're already talking about something coming you know, I don't know what it's going to be. doesn't matter to me. It's defeated. Amen. You know, it's going to lock us all down again. This is going to happen. That. What do they do? They always try to, to, to spread fear and intimidation. Yeah. Fear and this is going to happen. That's going to happen. This is gonna... Listen, that's why you can't afford to listen to those narratives. You've got to stay with the Word of God. Yeah. I don't care what they send. I don't care what they wrap it up in or package it as. We have authority over it, and we walk in victory over it in Jesus' name. Yeah. Amen? So that grace for these last days needs to be operational. It needs to be sought after. It needs to be accumulated. It, need, it, needs, to be, it needs to be assimilated. And it needs to be transmitted. Amen. That means not only God's grace for us that comes to us, but God's grace in us that works through us. Because we'll, we, listen church, we will be the only grace that many people ever experience in this lifetime. Therefore, we need that grace working in us, for us, and through us. And it comes by a desired revelation. That's why Paul prayed so many times. For what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4, and then we'll go to Philippians. Now listen to what Peter writes here. Chapter 4, verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Whoa. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Amplified Bible. The end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore be sound-minded, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Where are my prayers at? Amen. Church, you still need to get the revelation that part of your accumulating grace in these last days is your prayer life. Amen. I mean, we're doing everything we can do to get you to pray around here. We're praying here corporately three times a week. I guess next week it'll be four times a week because we have our special prayer and praise service. But I'm going to tell you something, church. Prayer, prayer is working. 
prayer is being answered. Not only that, prayer is, prayer is covering us. Prayer is cocooning us. Prayer is keeping us. Prayer is giving us wisdom. Prayer is releasing unto us the favor and the grace that we need for these days and this hour. Prayer is sobering us up. To the, the end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore, be sound-minded, self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear and reasonable, specific and pleasing to Him. Above all, above all, have fervent and unfailing love for God. Well, of course for God. But that's not what the Scripture says. It says have fervent and unfailing love for who? Look at your neighbor. Now don't kiss her if you're a husband or wife. And please don't kiss her if it's not your wife, Amen. <laughs> Amen. But that, that's who it's talking about. The Bible talks about as we love one another in fellowship that the blood of Jesus is activated and we motivate one another, one another to live holy and we're cleansed from sin and unrighteousness. Well, it's important that you love one another. Amen? The Bible says that's how God's going to know that we're believers. Above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. It overlooks unkindness and unselfishly seeks the best for others. Three groans and a maybe. <laughs> Let me try that last one again. Above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It overlooks unkindness. Well, you wouldn't believe what they did to me. Well, were they unkind to me? Well, they just looked at me the wrong way. Now, we, we said this months ago. You have to understand this, church. You're living in an age in which every person that you encounter right now has been, has been literally whipped into a place of hypersensitivity. You can't hardly say hi without saying, what do you mean by that? Amen. I keep remembering the time I liked to got in a fight with a guy because I thought he was talking to me. I was standing there at the counter, you know, getting my gum or whatever I was buying, and this guy's looking at me saying all this stuff, and I'm thinking, I'm fixing to come across this counter and grab you by the throat and repent later. <laughs> He's talking on the phone. I didn't realize he had something in his ear. <laughs> so you got to be careful not only what you hear, but how you hear it. These days, it's a little different. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But you got to understand, we're called to walk in love one toward another. And we get so used to just hiding and buying at church. You know, I love you, I love you. But in reality, we have to learn to love not in the effort that we've talked about in the past, but according to the nature like Pastor Leah talked to us about this morning. The nature of love on the inside of you. Above all, have fervent, unfailing love 
one for another because love covers a multitude of sin. It overlooks unkindness and unselfish, unselfishly seeks the best for others. It, my, my Amplified list, Proverbs 10, 12. So I went and read it. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all sins. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Now, go to Philippians, if you will. We'll, we'll look here in Philippians just for a few moments. Chapter 3. Now, as I continued, you know, we looked at some things, read some things, read some things out of the Passion Bible a couple of weeks ago. Just Scripture describing Jesus. Now, we, we've said this for years, and this helps because many times people, you know, we're all at different levels spiritually. But reading the Gospels, one of the best things to do to get acquainted with Jesus is just go read and meditate on the Gospels. You know, use your imagination like you do when you go to the movies and stuff like that, you know. I mean, I mean, just get in there with the Word and just see yourself on those dusty trails around the Sea of Galilee. See those, see those blind people hollering, I'm, I can see, I can see. Those lepers hollering, I'm cleansed, I'm cleansed. Listen, just let that be God speaking to you about His own nature through the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. What does God think about? Listen, I don't want to know what some preacher thinks about healing. I don't know. I don't want to know what some preacher thinks about prosperity or salvation. I don't care a preacher, a priest. I don't care who you are. I don't want to know. Tell me what God says. What, what does God say? Well, this is what we say. This is what we I don't care what you say. I don't care what you believe. What does God say? And I found this out about God. If you can find out what God says, then believe God. Amen. Believe God. Don't believe the preacher. Don't, don't believe the preacher. Believe God. Because the preacher or the priest can't give you faith. God gives you faith through his word. Amen. We've told, we've said this for years in ministry. We said, don't you ever believe anything because we say it? You'd be out of your mind to do that. That's what's got Christianity in the pickle that it's in right now. 500 different denominations around the world. Nobody believing the same. It's the craziest thing I ever saw in my life. I mean, you can get drug addicts together, but you can't get Christians together. Amen. It's crazy. You say, why? Because the devil knew if he could divide you. If he could divide you over doctrine, he'd keep you separated. Because there's people that live and die all guarding their doctrine. We don't guard doctrine around here. We live in it. If God wants to change it, we say, let it change it, Lord. I want what's working. Man, if you're believing something, it ain't working. Quit believing it. Now, chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. This is an amazing... When you read the book of Philippians, understand the Apostle Paul is in prison. He is facing execution. And in prison and facing execution, he pins to his premier church, which was the church in which he went in and founded in Macedonia when he got the Macedonian vision and went to Philippi. This is the church, the Philippian church. They supported him financially. They blessed him. It was endeared, even though Ephesus was a major, major move of God, a major outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Corinth was, a, was another major move of God. They were going in there and just destroying the perversion of the devil. It had, the revival was so strong in Ephesus that they were destroying these little silver goddesses of Diana they would make, which was the fertility god, and literally destroying those. And the silversmiths, there must have been so many silversmiths in the city that there was enough to cause a riot. Wouldn't that be cool if all the bars shut down? But I don't believe that could happen. It's already happened. 
There's been revivals across the world. Actually, back at the turn of the 19th, 20th century, there were several in the New Hebrides and over in Wales and, and different places like that in which men sitting in the bars could not lift the glasses of ale to their mouth and would come under the conviction of God and run to the church. Went on year after year. See, God's moving in the earth. They're not telling you that on CNN, though. God's moving in the earth. They're not telling you that on ABC or anywhere else. God's moving in the earth. And many times the devil does anything he can do to suppress it. But God's moving in the earth. I said God's moving in the earth. And he'll move anywhere anyone will let him move. Philippians chapter 3. Paul, I like to call this his, 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 his own epitaph. He's kind of saying, this is what it's all about for me. This is, because you could think, you know, people, ministers especially, in their success, they love to talk about their stuff. I'm not too big on it, but a lot of them are. But Paul didn't have no stuff to talk about. He didn't have no stuff to talk about. He was living on a grate over the sewer of Rome. And in that stench and in that filth, the Holy Ghost comes on him and he writes one of the most beautiful letters ever written on the planet. Amen. Inspired or breathed by God, he picks up pen and writes Philippians. Chapter 3, I mean, just for time's sake, go down to verse 7. The first part of chapter 3, he's giving his pedigree of who he was before he got saved. Man, I was a Pharisee. I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Man, I got it all right according to the law. I got it all right. Amen? But I notice what he says. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. He gave up everything. Just like his Savior did. Well, we'll try that later. It might thrill you a little more. Yea, doubtless... I count all things but loss for the excellence. Now, here we go. Excellency for the excellency for the excellency of a new Mercedes Benz. Oh, no, I'm sorry. For the excellency of a brand new Rolex. Now, he includes in this statement by the Holy Ghost the most valuable commodity in the universe, worth more than silver, worth more than gold, worth more than any valuable thing man can produce. He wants what? The excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He realized that throughout his whole life, what gave him the power, what gave him the ability, what empowered him to write chapters in the Bible, what empowered him to do all of that was the excellency of what? The knowledge. The more knowledge he had, the more power he had. The more knowledge he had, the more faith he had. The more knowledge... And see, people, they segregate Paul. Say, that was for Paul. That was just for Peter. That was just for the uh, disciples. But God came to save the whole world. And he didn't segregate the world and said, well, this power was just for them. This power was just for them. No, no. He gave it all to all of us. And the devil's been trying for 2,000 years to tell us it doesn't belong to us. Churches has been cooperating with him. Well, that's not true. He says there's an excellency. Everybody say excellency. Of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Can you say dung in church? We've just said it twice. That's pretty graphic. 
You mean being a Pharisee? Everything, all the accolades you got? Everybody talked about how you were the top in your class and, and you sat at the feet of Gamaliel and all, all that? All of it is, is but... That's, that's a pretty powerful statement. Everything I earned for myself is nothing. But what God has given me is the most powerful, most valuable thing in my life. It says to be found in Him... Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Now notice this next phrase. Verse 10. That I may know him. Now that's, that's listen, that's what? One, two, three, four, five short, very simple words. But it's where it's written, where it's placed in the scripture... And what stands behind it that adds so much weight to it? He could have said, well, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, it empowered me to build the church at Ephesus, build the church at Philippi, build the church at Corinth, Thessalonica. We built the church at Rome. We've evangelized Asia from, from Tyrannius' Bible school in Ephesus. Man, I tell you, we've been busy. We've been working in the kingdom. We've gotten thousands. How about another crusade? How about, a, how about another missions outrage? How about another church? Something like that, Lord. How about that? Nope, that was not the cry of his heart. Actually, that meant nothing to him. The cry of his heart, now listen to this. The cry of his heart was this, that I may know him. Now, you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you see the word know, you've got to understand that is a multifaceted word that comes from the Greek that, that both encapsulates the knowledge of, but not just the knowledge of, but experiencing him. Not just to know him. Not just to know him. Not just to know him, but to experience him. See, religion will say this. You can know him, you can know him, but you'll never experience him until you get to heaven. Now, you know, he is sovereign. That's how they love to say it. He is sovereign. So at any time, you never know. He'll spin the, he'll spin the big wheel in heaven. Seven billion names on it. And one day, your number may come up and you'll get a miracle. Wow. I was at one store up here on the seawall Friday, and some lottery had gotten to a billion dollars. Man, that's a lot of losers produced that billion dollars. <laughs> if I can get my billion dollars, all right, all right, you know. They don't build that stuff on winners, amen. But his desire was a greater knowledge of Christ. And you could have said, if you'd have been his jailmate, he would have won you to the Lord. And just think, Paul would have, you'd have said, well, wait a second, Paul, what, what? He said, no, no, you don't understand. See, that's where we miss it. Now, notice what it says. Let me read this before I get ahead of myself. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. 
Brethren, I count myself not have, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. You got something to do, Paul? Yeah. I got one thing I need to do. Here you go. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, church, I'm telling you, there is a high calling of God. I've known people that have walked in that high calling, people that have been in our lives that walked in what the Bible would call an excellence of spirit. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. An excellence of spirit. Where the, where the whole thrust of their life was to grow and develop the spirit man on the inside. And then to use it to influence others for Christ. To win them to the Lord. To see them saved. To see them delivered. To be benevolent. To be generous. And to literally be an expression of Christ upon the earth. Christ in you. See, we miss that. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's not your glory. That's his glory for other people. Now, this part here, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after that that I may apprehend that which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, as we close, let me, let me read that in my Passion Bible. I like my Passion Bible. Except it's getting tore up. Listen to this. I'm going to read it in the Passion. Start there in verse, verse 5. I was born a true Hebrew of Hebrews of Israel, the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah or of the law, no one surpassed me. I was without fear. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of truth, I persecuted Messianic believers with a religious zeal. Yea, all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I have now forsaken them and regard them as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Christ as my Lord. To truly know Him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It is little, it is ought, it ought. It's all like a pile of manure to me now. Wow. So that I might be enriched with the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based on keeping the written law. My righteousness will be based on the, fa- on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. Now that's the key, that I might know him. That's what we've been, for four weeks, that's what I've been telling you. That I might know, that needs to be your prayer. Lord, I'm believing you for this. No, no, that I may know him. Lord, if you could just help me, I, if I can know, if I can know Christ, if I, you say, why is that so important? The more you know about Jesus, the more you know about you. Yes. 
the mo most people's problem. They know nothing about themselves in Christ. They know about themselves after the flesh. They know about themselves after their weaknesses. But they know nothing about this mighty power that has been deposited on the inside of them. I remember having lunch with, with Pastor John Osteen, and, and I just graduated from Bible school. I'd been, I'd, I'd been out, of, out of school for about five months, and I had picked up one of his friends who was going to speak up the, at the church that night, and, uh, and we were having dinner, having lunch. And he looked across the table, and he got all, he just, he used to have this way, he could just bristle up, you know. Y'all remember that, he could just, and he did it at the table. He said, Rusty, I'm telling you, the mighty power of God, we've preached to you for nine months, we put it on the inside of you. My God, if you could learn to loose that, you could get up in the morning and speak to the sun and it'd come up in the west and not the east. You know, he believed that. I mean, he believed that. And I guarantee you, if you begin to discover that power that's on the, you, people are looking for God up here when God is right here. He's in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're born again, it's not, if you're, not if you're of this denomination, well, I'm this and I, I'm all, every time I witness to people publicly, I start telling about the Lord, say, well, you, would you like to receive Jesus right now? Well, I'm a Baptist. That's not what I ask you. We go to Ireland and say, well, I'm a Catholic. We say, well, that's not what we ask you. Amen. Jesus said you must be what? Born again. So here, the, the, this, this incredible documentation. He said, Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. When? Now. Well, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. That's everyone's problem. If you'd have some days of rejoicing down here in the nasty now and now, you may get to heaven a little better. I wrote this in my Bible. Where did I write it? Where did I write it? Here it is. You don't have to live in hell to go to heaven. Amen. Finally got an amen out the church. Amen. Finally found you. I found you. Glory to God. <laughs> you don't have to live in hell to go to heaven. God has given you redemption. He's given you a little piece of heaven to go to heaven in. All you got to do is work it. I continue to know, long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection, that I will be one with him in his suffering and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience the complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. Amen. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness of what I am pursuing, but I run with a passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. Amen. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling force. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future. Instead, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Now, in my study of the scriptures, which has been constant and continual for three, going on four decades, many of the men and women in my life that have come and gone over the years 
watching them, watching their desire to serve God, seeing how they served God in the midst of some of the most hellish things you ever saw in your life. Digging back, we've mentioned this so many times, but it's worth, it's worth commenting on, especially in the light of the Apostle Paul telling us, man, if you want some power, if you want some faith, if you need some breakthroughs, it's not the specific need or problem that needs the attention. It's your attention that you need to give to him. And if you can give that attention to him, he can impart the faith you need to turn and address the problem. See, we exhaust ourselves going to God and saying, God, this is my problem. You can do that your whole life and never get nothing. But you need to quit doing that and come over here to your problem and start talking to your problem about your God. See, that's where religion has missed it. Well, God in his sovereignty. You know how they say that kind of stuff. In his his beautiful sovereignty and his gracious might. May one day kick a few glory dust pebbles over the banister of heaven and thrill your life. Listen, the church has been starved to death with that kind of mentality. Where God has put in his word an initiative for the believer. God is in heaven. Seated at God is in heaven. Seated at his throne. Jesus is at his right hand. A place of authority. The Holy Ghost ain't in heaven. He is here. He is in you. He is on you. And he's here to do what? To carry out the purpose of God. Not to help you get God's attention. So that he can help you with your problem. It's so that he can empower you so that when, he gets, he, when God gets your attention through the word, you can do something about your problem. We pray, God, change this. God, change that. God, change this. God, change. God says, I ain't changing none of that. I'm going to change you and you can change it. So men in the Bible that, I mean, you read about Moses. I mean, he, he tried to go into ministry at age 40 and kill someone. That's no way to go into ministry kind of hinders you there. Amen. 40 years later, he walks upon a bush that wouldn't be consumed with fire. Fascinating. He turned, he turned to it and the bush spoke to him. Then about 40 or 50 years of ministry happened and he's dying in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And all of the heads of all of those tribes that came out of those sons of Abraham like we're speaking about on Wednesday night. They started passing in front of him. He began to bless them and prophesy. Bless them. Lay his hands on them. Prophesy. But he did not bless them. Now think of all the things he saw and experienced. He saw ten plagues come upon Egypt. He saw saw the Red Sea split. He he saw the manna from heaven. He saw the cloud by day and the fire by night. I mean, he, he saw it all. But he did not bless them by any particular thing that God did as he brought Israel out of Egypt. Nothing. He didn't even mention it. But when it came to blessing, he said this, I bless you by the God who's, who dwelt within the bush. You should know why did he do that? It's because everything else was for Israel. But the God of the bush, that was for Moses. So every time he referenced God, he referenced what? The God of the bush. The apostle Paul, who we just read his letter to the Philippians. You go through the book of Acts and you look at the sermons that he preached, the messages that he brought. They all started like this. I was on the road to Damascus and a light shined from heaven brighter than a noonday sun. And then in his, his last of his life, when he, when he declares his true heart's intention was this, that I may know him. Why, Paul? Because 
I was on the road to Damascus and a light shined from heaven brighter than a noonday sun and something got a hold of me on that road and I've been chasing it for 40 years trying to get a hold of what got a hold of me. I know it's going to bring me to heaven but I got to have something of it right here and now and he did and he did. And we see others in the scriptures, people in our own lives. I, I, I sat under the ministry of Brother Kenneth E. Hagin. You ought to go read his testimony. One of the most fascinating, 17 years old. He was a dead boy, laying in a bed, paralyzed from the chest down. I, I mean, there was no hope. They, had gave it, they, had give, they, they couldn't believe that he had lived past his 16th birthday because nobody in that condition, the, the, it was, it was the, the Mayo Clinic had determined nobody from that condition had lived past 16. He laid in that bed. 17, 18 months with, with his mama's big old Baptist, uh, Methodist Bible. And when he got to Mark 11, whosoever shall say unto the mountain, be thou removed, in the, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in their heart, but believe those things which they say is to come to pass. They shall have whatsoever they say. Therefore I say, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive, and you shall have them. And that word desire, God touched it when Brother Hagin read it as a 16-year-old paralyzed boy. And he told Jesus, I desire a well body. And God took him step by step through faith. And about three months later, he's standing straight up and preached the gospel for 64 years on this planet and changed the way we believe the Bible. Dr. Dr. Lester Summerall, 17 years old, he told me, I've heard it many times from the pulpit, but he told me to it personally. He says, I was, he says, I was at the point with tuberculosis. When you begin to cough up the bloody foam, you're, you're done. Back then, you know, 1930s, you know, you're done. They pretty much walk out of the room until you finish coughing, and they come pull the, pull the sheet over your head. He said in those, when that cough began to come and the blood began to he said he looked on the wall, and there was a Bible and an open casket. And, and it said... A voice said, choose one. He said, I'm not going to preach. He said, then you'll die. He said, I'll preach. And God healed him. And he preached for over 60-something years. Oral Roberts. A lot of people don't know his testimony. Same condition as, 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 as Lester Summerall, dying of tuberculosis. Die. He was so sick, they had to load him in the back of a car. And they loaded, loaded him to a back of, uh, into the back of a car and took him to a man holding a tent revival who was laying hands on people and God was doing miracles. And they laid hands on Dr. Roberts and he was totally healed and preached the gospel for six decades. Now you say, why are you mentioning those people? You got Moses, you got Paul, you got Kenneth Hagin, you got Dr. Summerall, and you got Oral Roberts. My God, I mean, we're just a bunch of little, old, you know, hanging out in Galveston, Texas, you know, barely, barely got enough sense to open our Bibles. Well, here's, here's what you're missing. Every one of those people were touched by God. Amen. And they may have a more spectacular testimony than yours, but it's not more supernatural. Yeah. Because you were on the road to Damascus. You were laying in the bed dying. You were drugged up and, and alcoholed out and all. You, listen, you were, you were bound by religion. You were, you were bound by pride. You were bound by grief. You, the same thing is true that's true of all those people we just mentioned. You just haven't realized yet something got a hold of you. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let me say that again. You just hadn't realized yet something got a hold of you. What got a hold of you? Jesus has gotten a hold of you. He has gripped your heart and he's doing everything he can do in these last days to pull you to himself. Yeah. 
Why? So that he can protect you. He can bless you. He can use you. And you can discover some of the things the Apostle Paul discovered why he could sit there with a smile on his face when the sewage of Rome running under his feet and pen a letter like that to the Philippian church and to the church in Galveston, Texas. That I may know him. What do you want more than anything else? What do you want? Is it something material? Some relationship? Maybe you're single, you want a husband or a wife? Maybe you're a couple, you want children? That's all well and good. God will bless you with that. But if you put at the top of the list of every desire in your life and you keep it there and you fight to keep it there, that I may know him. We went and saw the movie uh, Elvis. Elvis, about Elvis Presley. I've always liked Elvis. And uh, I know Elvis. I know him because I watched some of his movies. I know him. I know him because I, I uh, uh, listened to some of his songs. There's a good one. What was the one we listened to the other day? I, I listened to a, a guy who was talking about his gospel music. And so they asked him, what was the, your favorite song? This guy was a music producer. The, 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 the name of the song is Life. Go listen to that song by Elvis Presley. It's beautiful. It's the redemptive story. It's awesome. But I know Elvis. I know him. I saw him in 1972, two nights in a row at the Houston Rodeo. But that's all I know. I never really, I never shook his hand. I never talked to him. I've never been to Graceland. I don't know if I've ever bought, I don't think I've ever bought one of his records. I've listened to his, watched a few of his movies. Amen. But we all talk, you know Elvis? Oh yeah, I know Elvis. Amen. But see, that word that I may know, him. When you begin to dissect that word and begin to look at it, there's an intimacy there that's beyond just the common knowledge of knowing somebody. I could go to, I know, I know Roland, I know Laura. And on another level, I know Leah. But that's still not the level of know that Christ wants in your life. And when you make a decision, you know, I'm going to go after that. I'm going I'm to know him. I'm going to know Christ. And for all my life, I've dug into those redemptive scriptures. I've talked about the times being in hotel rooms in different places and wanting to jump out the window because the revelation of Christ was so strong that you had to give, you had to, you say, why do you Pentecostals, why do you run and shout and dance? Because there's revelation in the Word of God that you can't contain outside of your emotions. It'll touch your emotions. When you see Him for who He is, Jesus wants to be very intimate with you. And he wants to reveal the Father unto your life. And when you begin to realize these things like prayer, coming to church, studying the Word of God, that brings you into that place of intimacy. Listen, you're doing something eternal. You're doing something eternal. You're, you're, you're functioning on an eternal level. Every time you sit there with that Bible opened in your lap, every time you come to this church, every time you bow your knee at your home, every time the husband and wife open the Bible, you open the Bible for the kids at night, whatever you do, however you do it. Listen, you're fellowshipping with the creator of the universe who is more interested in getting intimate with you than you are in getting intimate with them. You say, how do you, how do, how do you know that, Pastor? Because he did everything he can do to get to you. And sometimes people do nothing to try to get to him. He gave his only begotten son, died upon a cross, 
That fellowship of his suffering, that's what he's talking about. As we fellowship and he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquity, chastisement of our peace was upon by his stripes we're healed. You think about that. You meditate on that. You receive it. I believe that. I got the, I got him. When I was studying Friday, Friday or yesterday, I was studying and I had something else on my mind or I'd, somebody had sent me a text and I kind of was not uh, concentrating on my studies for a few moments there. So I just kind of sat back and relaxed and the Lord spoke something to me I thought was really cool. He said, you know, when you quit sinning, you were able to believe. I thought, you know, that's true. When I quit sinning, I was able to believe. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, sin, it causes faith not to carry it full weight of its power. And when I say sinning, I mean living a lifestyle of sin. I mean, you know, all of us miss the mark from time to time. But once I came out of a lifestyle of sin, I was able to believe. And I, I know most of you, you've come out of a lifestyle of sin. Just coming out of that lifestyle of sin has empowered you to believe. But now you have to have something to believe. And what God does is he provides something that fits within the belief system of the human heart. Nothing else fits there. You can put everything you want there. You can look at. You can put a successful baseball uh, baseball uh, a career. You can put a, a successful banking career. You can put a successful educational career. You can put a successful ministry, and it will not fill that gap that's in every human heart that only that fits in. And when you figure that out, remember. How a lot of people were, they went after, you know, you, you, your, your ego, your ambition, or, your, or, just your, or just your unrighteousness and your iniquity many times would drive people to explore all kinds of craziness. Then they find Christ and they back off. And they're kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian now. But you know, two years ago, you were swinging from the chandeliers. Paul was drawing the parallel of his zeal for the law being nothing compared to his zeal for Jesus. No matter what zeal you've had for anything in your life, if at this important time in history, in the perilous days of the last days, if you can refocus yourself and think, Jesus. Now see, for years... Growing up as a kid, I'd hear the preachers preach. You've got to seek his face. You've got to seek Jesus. And I couldn't, I would think, okay, here am I. Where are you? You got to go back to what? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Preacher, you act like that Bible's God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, and the Word was God. Ted Nella brought back there. Been a few years now, but we used to go to a little Bible study on Tuesday nights at Francis Ward, Francis and Effie Ward's house up in Houston. And the most intimidating thing about Mama Ward was her language to me. I don't know about other people. But she would get up and she would say things that I would think, I, I don't know if I can go there. But one of the things that she would say over and over that I finally got, and it took me a while, was this. And Ellen Ted remember it. I just love 
to make love to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Y'all remember that? So I remember the first couple of times I heard that, I kind of like... <laughs> you know, I'm like... But no, I was in Bible school, I was praying a lot, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me. You know what he told me? He said, watch her. He said, watch her. Don't just listen to her, watch her. So I began to watch her. And I'd watch her teach, and I can attest to this. <laughs> but she'd flip over into the Spirit. And she, her voice would even change. And she'd get that voice. It'd start going up here. And it started, Ted can do it. I, I need to get Ted up here and do it. He can do it better than anybody. And you know, you weren't hearing from Mama Ward. You were hearing from the Holy Ghost. And I began to watch how she worshipped. And almost every time that she would really worship, big hot tears would roll down her face. And I never, I know how many times I saw on her dress, there would be big uh, spots right here on, remember Ella? On her dress from the tears that ran down her face during worship. That I might know him that I might know him. Velma Hankins, powerful pastor from West Columbia, her and her husband, Bibi, Velma fought depression. Oh, my God. It was just unbelievable depression tried to come upon her. And she got a breakthrough. And she overcame that. And she did it by running, not, not putting on jogging shoes and running down the street. But by any time anything anybody said touched her spirit in a service, she's gone. There she'd go. I got the good, good report she ran every time I preached in West Columbia. <laughs> I can't say that for her. Well, she ran in all my services, and most of them I ran behind her. What was she doing? She was giving expression to a relationship that he had with, she had with somebody you can't see. But she was intimate with him, and he had set her free. And she got up and ran every time. Every time she even sensed his presence, boom, off she went worshiping and giving glory unto God. God is wanting, listen, it's not me trying to urge you to do, it's God saying, I want you, I want you, I want you in my arms, I want you intimate with me, I want to hold you, I want to give you peace. I, that's what he's doing right now. And so we're trying to make that connection by teaching, showing these things to you by the word and encouraging you. Don't back off of the things of God. Press into the things of God with all your heart. So, well, I've already lived a life. Don't look at the things that are behind. Because what God has for you is not behind you. It's in front of you. And if there's a mountain in the way, speak to it. It'll have to be removed and be cast into the sea. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, lift your hands and thank God for a moment. Y'all get something out of that? Praise God. Thank you, Lord God, for your word this morning. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around at me. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure about all this. I'm not sure about heaven. I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm not sure. Well, we're here to help you get sure. God loves you. He loves you outside of religion. He loves you outside of tradition. He loves you outside of anything you've ever tried to preconceive in your mind. He cares for you. He does everything He can do for you, but many times we reject Him. 
So we always use this portion of the service, and we like to do it in such a way where people feel comfortable. We like to ask people, where are you with God? Are you born again? I don't even know what that means, Pastor. That means this. You're born into a family. You could give your family name, but in reality, your family name is human. You were born into the human family. The problem with being born into the human family is the human family is cursed, and the curse is separation from God. That has created everything wrong with the human experience. The sickness, the disease, the war, the poverty, the lack, the famine, the drought. You name it, it's caused by man's separation from God. But one day, God in His sovereignty and His mercy, His love and His great compassion, He loved us, not in just in word, but in word and deed. And Jesus was born in a manger. He lived a sinless life. He did signs, wonders, and miracles. He died on a cross and he rose from the dead. But he didn't do it for a church or a religion. He did it for every whosoever that would call upon his name for salvation. It's your choice. Your most valuable possession. I don't care if you're a billionaire. You're still, your choices have not grown smaller than your wealth. You say, what do you mean by that? With one choice, you could give it all away showing you how strong your choices are. Jesus made a statement in Matthew chapter 16, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered in such a way, but then he said this, Who do you say that I am? Not who does the pastor say, not who does the priest say, who do you say? So Jesus came and died and rose from the dead so that all those born in the human family with a confession of faith in their heart could leave the human family and get born again and enter into God's family. One of the great fallacies of religion is that we're all of one big family. We're not. There is the human family that we were all once a part of. Then there's God's blood-washed family. One translation says it like this. We are His loved children. But you have to believe it. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. Or there may be others that are here that you say, Pastor, I I am. I'm saved. But man, I hadn't been living right. I've been living bad hadn't been obeying God the way I should. I just want to get right with God. So either one of those two choices, why nobody's looking around but me and my ushers, if that's you, you say, Pastor, please pray for me. Would you lift your hand? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Nobody's looking around but us. One hand over there. God bless you. Anyone else? Another hand. God bless you. Praise God. Let me look one more time. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. Help me, ushers. Praise God. Well, praise God. We've been having one and two every week, so everybody stand. Praise God. Are we going to pray with them? Oh, come on. Let's stand and pray with them. Now, we invite everybody here, even though you're saved and right with God, pray this prayer with the one that raised their hand. Amen. And after the one that raised your hand, after you pray the prayer, tell someone someone around you, I prayed that prayer. You know what they're going to do? They're going to be so happy. They're going to be so glad. They're not going to go, well, what did you do? Don't do that. They're going to say, I'm so glad. I'm so... Everybody ready? Especially the one that lifted your hand. Here we go. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father right, now, right now, willingly, willingly and, obediently, and obediently, I confess, I confess Jesus, Christ Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Lord and my Savior. My Savior. Thank, you, thank you, God. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father thank, you. thank you. You sent your son, Jesus, born of the Word of God. He lived a sinless life, anointed by the Holy Ghost. He did signs and wonders and miracles. Then I thank you, Father, 
that He died on the cross. He suffered for me. He rose from the dead so that I could have a brand new life. Therefore, today, I believe it. I receive it. I confess it is mine. Heavenly Father, areas of my life that do not please you, I ask your forgiveness. Thanking you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin and all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father. Here on this earth, here in this life, I am saved, born of the Spirit, born again, as Jesus said. Devil, look at me. I do not belong to you. I will not serve you. Jesus, look at me. I need you. You know my weakness. You know my inabilities. But I belong to you. And I yield myself unto your plan and will for my life. Thank you, Lord. You have received me. You have cleansed me. You have healed me. I'll never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now shout and thank God for it. Amen. Glory to God. Isn't God good? Now don't forget Wednesday night we're teaching on redemption. Are you enjoying that? We're about to get, we're about to get Abraham happy here. So come and listen to that good teaching. That'll bless you. Amen. Be sure to be a witness this week. Tell people about Jesus. Be a soul winner. Let me try that again. Be a soul winner. Let your life preach Jesus. Be a blessing. There's a lot of hurting people out there. Amen. Father, as we leave today, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. We never take it for granted that you anoint our praise and worship, our giving, our teaching of the Word, or our fellowship. So as we leave today, we declare our protection and safety. Thanking you, Heavenly Father, no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh our dwelling. Angels have charge over us. Fathers, we leave today. We thank you, Lord, for your protection and blessing and the righteous labor of our hands. No accidents, no trauma, no terror, no evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. Thank you, Father. We are the blessed of God. Lord, let your spirit stir on the inside of us. Spirit of God, fan into a flame. Revival fires in our heart and our spirit so that everywhere we go during the week, we're available to God to encourage, to bless, to expose Jesus, and to love people so that they will know the goodness of God. Father, we love you. We leave today walking in love towards you. Always, we thank you so much for what you do for us, and we thank you for your spirit in our life. We thank you for our church. We love one another, and we leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.